0: Welcome to the FHE Podcast, hosted by Amy and Maddie. We are the Fruity Horny Exmos.
1: Welcome back to the FHE Podcast, everybody. We're so excited for today's episode. We have a very special guest. If you've heard our previous episodes, you may or may not have heard us mention our number one fan and... Luckily enough, we were able to bring our number one fan into the studio, again, aka our dining room, to be our <laughs> guest on today's episode. Um, so we want to welcome Katie to the podcast. Welcome, Katie. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> and Maddie's here, too. She's just being quiet. I'm just being quiet, but I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, Katie and I actually have known each other most of our lives. So we're both from yeah. Ohio. And I can't remember when did you move into our ward. Um, I was like six years old. Wow, so it's that's been over twenty years. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> I know. Yeah, and I just remember you being very quiet. Mm-hmm. yeah that's because i was very weird
2: yeah but you saw me through definitely the worst of times and hopefully someday she'll see me in my best of times um, which i'm kind of still waiting for oh my God. i'm just kidding I'm just no kidding. i love that no
1: i mean and vice versa you definitely definitely seen me through my worst of times as well But um, yeah, so Katie and I have been friends for over 20 years. That's really crazy to say. So anyway, Katie, what we always ask people when they come on the pod is kind of what's their experience with the church? You know, everyone has a reason for being on this podcast in particular. And aside from you being one of my best friends, what, um, what brings you here? My experience with the church, I feel like is probably pretty typical of a lot
2: of people that have been on the podcast already and I grew up very devout Mormon. My parents are still very devout Mormon. (laughs) And by that I mean like we did all of the Mormon things. I couldn't play sports if they were over not just Sunday, but Monday and also youth activities. And just yeah, all the all the regular rules. I went to BYU Idaho and then I went to BYU. I served a mission. But I think Growing up, I always had a lot of questions about the gospel in church, and as a kid and a teenager and also a young adult, I feel like I spent a lot of time questioning in my mind different things that people would say during talks. As I loved church because I loved when people would say things that I felt like contradicted each other and weren't true, and then going through the mental process of trying to untangle them and figure those things out. Um so I actually had I feel like a pretty positive view on church as far as a a place to do mental exercises about ethics um and morals and also the gospel but my mission was a really horrible experience and I feel like at that point it it caused me to question not not theology in the church but systems that were in place in the church I think at that point it was just going to be a matter of time before I left the church because not only did I see the systems in place, but I started to acknowledge that a lot of the contradictions, people weren't trying to resolve those. Yeah. Then I realized like my own personal beliefs weren't aligned in the church and I didn't know why I was staying in a place that I didn't believe in. So,
1: (sighs) Wow. This is why I love you, Katie, because you just really, I feel like like I, I've said, I've told you this before. I just think you're really well-spoken about this topic in particular, even if you don't think so. I think so.
0: <laughs> I think so too. Well, yeah. And just
1: like <laughs> listening to you talk about it, I feel like it was just so like succinct and just really like a a well-thought statement. So yeah, I just am really excited you're here. Thank you. I'm
2: so excited <laughs> to be here. <laughs>
1: um, yeah. A, a fun fact, obviously Katie and I have known each other for like 20 years, but Katie and I... Actually, we roommates our very first semester at BYU-Idaho. Um, I was never there because I didn't like our other roommates. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, but Katie and I had that one semester, the one time we lived together. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. It was very nice. It was. And also, I just want to, before we really jump into the topic today, I really just want to... <laughs> I want to bring up when you were like, I feel like my experience... Like growing up was pretty typical. I don't think that's true. <laughs> yeah,
0: I was going to say, I don't think your experience is
1: typical. <laughs> Just talk about like the dresses. <laughs> um, like yes. no media, no yeah. access to things. Yeah, like it, was a, little it extreme. was a little intense. Okay.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, it's hard to separate my experience in the church as far as who I was as a person and how the, the church intersected in that. Mm-hmm. So. Um, Things like queerness, things like being a woman in the church. Obviously, I feel like that was very typical of other people's experiences. Um, But my family culture (laughs) was also heavily impacted by standards in the church. So um, I was homeschooled until I was 14. We were not allowed to watch most TV, including things like certain Disney movies. Um, I was not allowed to watch any PG-13 movies at all at home. I'm actually up until a couple of years ago. Um <laughs> I'm
1: turning 30 this year so I remember way past when you was 13. Yeah, I remember when you like got super hooked on Criminal Minds in yeah, college. Criminal Minds. So, <laughs>
2: yeah. Um I went from watching like we were basically the things we were allowed to watch was like Little House on the Prairie and yeah, Gilligan's Island mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um, the Waltons. I'm not even sure if anybody would know what The Waltons I've heard is, of it. I don't yeah. know if I've watched it. Yeah, me either. Um, and like, yeah, so we weren't allowed to have any video games, any social media. I was very limited in what kind of music I could listen to and how I dressed. Amy is referring to the fact that um, because we were homeschooled and also only allowed to watch Little House on the Prairie, <laughs> my sister and I obviously thought it was cool And my grandma made us literal prairie dresses with bonnets, and we did not want to wear them to church, but my mom and dad made us wear these dresses to church because my grandma had made them, Um, and she made us lots of dresses. When I was, I think I was 15 or 16, yeah, she made me a dress just with pandas and bamboo on it, and it was like Mm -hmm. in that unstretchable cotton oh, fabric. No, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, please don't make me wear this. My parents made me anyway. <sighs> so, my whole yeah.
1: Yeah. I just really wanted to throw that out there to yeah. like give another perspective <laughs> of just kind of like how sheltered you were as a kid. Um not, you know, not by your choice obviously, but you know, your family really took the church's guidance to heart and I feel like that kind of ties into People that may or may not have read the book that we're covering in our topic today, and would have taken that to heart. So that's mm-hmm. kind of why I wanted to to mention it a little more in detail. Yes, take um, the
2: strength of youth, multiply it by two, and that's probably the rules that, it was, <laughs> yeah. that I grew up with. So yeah, I had true. no friends almost, and I was unable to assimilate into regular society for.
1: A long time, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, Since. Katie and I just kind of sat in the back, um, because I really didn't talk much until I was like 14. Yeah. Yeah, we just kind of sat in the back, of young women's, and we were just like, dee, dee, dee. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not doing much. Um, And then I started talking.
0: Um, and then you never stopped.
1: No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and here we are on the podcast. Exactly. So yeah. Exactly. <laughs> no, it's true. I haven't stopped.
0: <laughs> um. Well, thanks for telling a little more detail about that. Maddie, what's the topic today? <laughs> Wow, I am so honored that I get to introduce the topic today.
1: <laughs> today, we're, yeah,
0: today we are talking about none other than The Miracle of Forgiveness by our favorite guy, Spencer W. Kimball. Dun, dun, dun. So, I'm excited. Yeah, this is going to be a wild episode. <laughs> I mean,
1: what do you even say about this book? I know. I mean, you I guess just, we'll find out. But it speaks
0: for itself. It
1: truly does. But I do want to go around and just kind of have each of us talk about our preconceived notions of the book prior to reading it because i know i had some i don't know about you guys yeah um so katie do you want to go first as our guest sure um
2: so i had heard about this book the first time i read it was after my mission my first semester back at college um and i had thought that a lot of the problems on my mission were because I had some secret sins that I didn't know about or that I did know about that weren't resolved so I thought reading the miracle of forgiveness would help me yikes you know uncover these sins that had created so much turmoil on my mission and kind of post mission
1: and knowing you during like during that time in your life Knowing that you read this this book like right after that in the thick of it, oof. it wow. wasn't helpful. It was not. I will I bet. just throw that <laughs> off there.
2: Um, I thought that this book would be about the atonement, um, like a Jesus Christ centered atonement type book, yeah. and it was not Mm-mm. at all. Mm-mm. I'm not. The title is misleading to me. Yeah, um, agreed. This book is about sex, and yes. that's basically what I, yeah, what I gathered from this book. And the church's perceptions of improper, improper sex, sex perceptions and sexual behaviors. Mm -hmm.
1: yeah, no, I agree. Wasn't helpful.
2: Um, The second time I read it was for the podcast. I reread this book, which is more than it ever deserved to be read twice. I know. Um, But (laughs) uh, this time I went through and I had other questions that were probably more influenced from my Educational background, so why this book was written in the first place, what it was trying to accomplish. So I kind of went through it with a more maybe academic approach than I had before, and definitely not a spiritual approach.
1: Okay, well, a different reading. Of the I'm book, yeah, so. I'm excited to hear what you learned um, from the academic side because that's not you know something that Maddie and I can really we don't really think through that perspective. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm excited to hear more about that in just a sec. For me, I read through this book for the podcast. I'd heard about it forever. I feel like I've always heard about this book. As I grew up and, you know, got farther and farther away from the church, I heard a lot of people talking about the miracle of forgiveness. And I took it as like, it's solely about gay people, which like is... The bulk of it, truly. But there was a lot of other things in there too that I didn't realize that he would also be talking about. And also probably 50% of it is just quotes from the scriptures <laughs> or from other church people. So that was also surprising. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think mostly I was surprised that it wasn't just like about gay people, page one to the end. Like I kind of thought just how people talked about it, that that's what it was going to be about. Mm-hmm. Um But like Katie said- a lot of it has to do with sexual sin mm-hmm. um, and just kind of like behaviors of men and women in the church. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a, it's a wild read. And for Maddie, I was like, I love you. Don't read this entire <laughs> book. Um, it's so not worth it. Just And I, I posted so many tabs in this book for Maddie to be able to just get the best and worst. And by that, I mean worst or far worse um of the book so just to kind of throw that out there that luckily you didn't have to read every page like katie and i did i did
0: not read the whole book i just read the tabs (laughs) but you got the gist oh yeah definitely got the gist
1: so what were your preconceived notions of the book prior
0: mine are similar to yours i i don't know when i first heard about this book but I've always kind of heard it as like, oh, yeah, it's really homophobic. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was kind of like the miracle of forgiveness about being gay or something. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. That's kind of what I assumed before I learned more about it. But yeah, it's, I mean, you know, for the church, being gay is like a sexual sin a little bit. Oh, they sure. compare it to being immoral, which is bullshit. But anyway, so that's all.
1: Okay, well, I think that gives us kind of a good framework to to go into the deep dive on this horrible book. (laughs) Um, But before we get into reading passages straight from the book, and just kind of again, more specific conversations about the topics in this Piece of literature. Um, (laughs) Katie. Piece of literature. I don't know how. So generous. Piece of shit literature. Wow, it's accurate. (laughs) Too true. Katie, you obviously had mentioned that you went through it the second time with a more academic viewpoint. So, what did you kind of learn um, using that viewpoint? I have
2: a bachelor's and master's degree in English. My master's was focused on specifically. Rhetoric. So one of the things that I feel like I learned quite a bit is how to construct good arguments and a part of that is understanding logical fallacies. So one of the things that really stood out to me at the second reading of this book is the logical fallacy appeal to nature is what it's called. But okay. this idea that because you find something in nature, it's better. Okay. Um so in this book he he talks a lot about how homosexuality is a sin against nature and that the reason you need to be heterosexual is to have children and basically like further the human race. Yeah. But that's that's a huge logical fallacy assuming that because you see some heteronormative, if you want to call that, <sighs> activity in nature, it therefore is the correct way to live right? as humans. Um, but we know that you can find anything in nature. It's yeah. in nature that animals eat their children, but I don't think that, yeah. you know, we could, <laughs> yeah. you know, and there's there's lots of different ways that species live and interact and um, even procreate. So that was like one huge thing about this book was just that his argument is based on on a fallacy that doesn't even hold up consistently through LDS theology, it only holds up in the argument for gay sex.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: but if you look at you know people who can't have children and and ways that they have children, whether it's through adoption or artificial insemination or whatever else, obviously the appeal to nature they don't they don't apply it to that. <laughs> in science, you would say it's natural selection for when things yeah. can't reproduce. So to me, the the argument really didn't hold up in the book. That was one of the things mm-hmm. that I noticed, I guess, right away yeah. when I read the
1: book. No, I think that's really interesting because I think certain scientific aspects they cherry pick that they're like, Well, it's a crime against nature that gay people have sex. But like you said, that's not <laughs> that's not accurate. Also, but,
0: I've seen like videos of gay penguins mm-hmm. and stuff yeah. like that. So
1: it's just but they just like ignore that. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, you can find whatever you want in nature. Truly. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah. So, so it's yeah. I think it's just it, that's a really good, already a very sound argument. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. I guess another thing that I found kind of funny in in this book and lots of church books is church leaders will be like, "It's just my duty to talk about sex. I don't want to, like Jacob of oh, old in the my Book my of God. Mormon, yeah. but I must." <laughs> so I thought something interesting is. Spencer W. Kimball in this book uses that argument for why he's writing this book. Like the people in the church and people outside of church are living in such sexual perversion that he must write this book like Jacob talked about sexual perversions in the Book of Mormon. Yeah. But also in the preface, I think it's like really funny. And I haven't actually seen this really before in other things I've read, but he says, "I accept full responsibility for the contents of this book. Specifically, the church and its leaders are totally absolved from the responsibility for any
1: error which may be found to contain." So I also found that really interesting. Specifically, that he's like, "This is these are my words, and no one else, like not the churches." Yes, but mm. at the same time, yeah,
2: he's saying, "I'm like Jacob the prophet, and as a uh, as an apostle, I have a responsibility to write this book." So. There's a lot of confusion for him, it seems, as to what authority he has to write this book. Yeah, is so he yeah. writing it as a man or as a prophet? Yeah, um, and I think that just speaks to how confused most leaders of the church are, yeah. and this line that they try to walk between: I'm speaking for God as a prophet versus this is my own opinion and my yeah, own experience. Exactly, for
1: sure. Just to kind of piggyback off that specifically about the when church leaders are like, I, it's my duty. I remember, like I said, I notated so many parts of this book. And there's one part that I notated that um, it's in chapter five, which is called The Sin Next to Murder. (laughs) I wonder what that is. Uh Um, And it says, it is unfortunate that church leaders must discuss these sins of corruption, but they would be (laughs) under condemnation if they failed to warn and forewarn and protect and fortify. And I literally wrote, you don't have to. Mm -hmm. You don't.
2: I also wrote a very similar note. To that. <laughs> why? Question mark. Yeah, like mm-hmm. it's
1: just so funny that it's our duty to protect you like we would be condemned if we didn't. What? Mhm.
2: And yeah. like just sitting in the irony of like your last episode that talked about all of the I guess a previous episode that talked about all of the sexual sins that leaders of yep. the church have committed.
0: Yeah. So the many irony. Mhm. I the know hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I
1: mean, that's truly what it is. They'll condemn sexual sins that they themselves have committed. So it's like, okay, what are you doing? Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Just because you're a prophet, you think you're like you're good? Yeah, you're you know? better than everyone and else. <laughs> he wasn't the prophet when he wrote this. Oh right? yeah, I looked it no, up. Yeah. This, yeah, this was
1: written in 1969, which nice. Nice. <laughs> um, and um, but he was a. He was in the Quorum of the Twelve at the time, but Mm -hmm. he did shortly after become the prophet, I think, in a few years after that. Yeah.
0: And so I feel like how he's like, oh, yeah, no, these are my words, not the church's. But then he's in such a position of power. Yeah, such a high position. So how could could that not influence people Mm -hmm. and, you know connect that back to the church. Yeah, I mean how many people have you met in your lifetime that have
1: referenced this book and they're like, this wonderful book The Miracle of Forgiveness (laughs) written by our great prophet Spencer (laughs) W. Kimball. Like, I know so many, like in the ex-Mormon groups that we're in, so many people posted about them finding this book in their parents' house and like burning it. (laughs) I'm like, how many of our parents grew up reading this trash, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's just like you did have a lot of influence at the time that this was written and some people still reference it yeah didn't you just have like a during your internship oh yeah
0: let me see so i intern at a counseling center right now and i was shadowing a marriage counseling session last week the counseling center is it works with the church so there's some like bishop assistance. yeah in finding clients and, like, helping them with their, quote, porn addictions and stuff like that. Yeah, it's, if you oh, can see no. Katie's face. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to show you some of the, like, videos I have to watch sometimes. They're rough. Um. Anyway, but he, so since it was a marriage counseling session and the therapist is, he's not a member, but he has been. So he c- will use scripture if that is, like, going to work for the client so he was quoting the scripture that says um, cleaving unto your wife and none else which is actually in this book the therapist was like oh yeah and spencer w kimball wrote a book about marriage and the husband said oh is it miracle of forgiveness because i've read that multiple times and they're like they're probably only in their like 40s yeah this is so this is 2022 and he's still reading this book yeah multiple times wow yeah so, yeah, it's not, like, a thing of the past. Yeah. I mean, and I feel like people who leave the church, they've just completely written it off as, like, bullshit. But there are people still in the church who read it and, like, take it to heart. Yeah, like, accept the the rhetoric yeah. that is in this. Even though it's trash, so dated and homophobic and hypocritical. But
2: It's interesting that what people take from this book is, also isn't about forgiveness it's I about know. how to I know, live it's not. sexually morally clean lives
1: yes i know yeah i don't know i mean i it almost feel it just it's just a red herring to mm-hmm. have the miracle of forgiveness as the title because mm-hmm. that's not what this book is mm-hmm. about it's not it's saying these are all the sins that you could do and the only person who could absolve you of those sins is god mm-hmm. that's pretty much what it mm-hmm. is and like but we can be forgiven yeah.
0: For, like, anything except for... Except for blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. That's the yeah. only sin that he said you can't be forgiven for. Yeah. That's the one. Not murder. Not murder. <laughs>
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I yeah, just the whole, the whole concept of the miracle of forgiveness is laughable. Truly.
2: Yeah, and he has some weird quotes in this book, too, about limitations even with being forgiven of sexual sins. He says... Yeah extremely firm parameters around what what you would have to do to be forgiven yeah a sexual sins and if you don't do those things then you won't be forgiven so it's a very conditional approach which is to forgiveness accurate out. of just how
1: mm-hmm. i mean love in the church is conditional mm-hmm. um, and even how they say that god loves us it's still conditional mm-hmm. so of course their forgiveness is
0: also conditional mm-hmm the Miracle of Conditional Forgiveness. Yes. Honest, truly.
1: <laughs> the Condition of Forgiveness. Yeah, really, That's though. what it should be yeah. titled. A new edition, 2022. <laughs> yeah. The Condition of Forgiveness. Yeah. Um, okay, perfect. What else did you, like, in your research, what else did you find?
2: I think also just the way that I read the text itself. So, doing a close reading of the text. Um, interesting word choices that he used. A lot of inconsistencies. In his ideas, there's contradictions sometimes on the same page about what mm, he thinks about wrong. different topics. So this book feels, and you know, I couldn't find if he had a ghostwriter for this book or not, or if you know this is his own writing. But this I would not book be surprised. Feels very inconsistent, mm-hmm. um, just in a lot of of ways, and many yeah. arguments and many assertions that he makes. Um, and I did not notice those inconsistencies in my first time reading it because yeah. it was a more emotional experience. It was, like, very fear and shame-based mm-hmm. when I read this book versus being a, a consistent, thought-out argument or even process. Mm-hmm. I mean, even his process feels conflicted at some point. Oh, so. for
1: sure. And I noticed that S- in the book stood up to me as well, that, like, just the formatting.
0: <laughs> it was just scattered <laughs> thoughts. Yeah. yeah. And every chapter is about something different yeah but it's all the same but it is yeah kind of yeah i mean it's
1: just 350 pages of nothing (laughs) i mean honestly it's just there's so much fluff there's so many (laughs) uh, like chapters where i literally like again since i notated the book for maddie i was like don't read this chapter it's so boring (laughs) like there's nothing new yeah and that's like something that you know we've talked about before the church does not talk about new things mm-hmm. it talks about the same bullshit mm-hmm. over and over and over again just in different formats yeah just regurgitated mm-hmm. again and again and um it's it's the same with this book honestly mm-hmm. but there are some truly horrible <laughs> things that he says but i would definitely agree that inconsistent
0: mm-hmm.
2: yeah and it's interesting that i feel like this goes with other topics you've discussed on your podcast and just teachings and rhetoric in the church generally is that the the purpose of the arguments they make in the church is not to be logical yeah there is no logic to this book there's no (laughs) overall point to this book except to make you think certain things about sex and Mm -hmm. sexual relationships that you have with people contrasting that with a lot of other philosophers even religious christian philosophers i mean c.s lewis comes to mind. And yeah. I've read a lot of his books. He goes through um virtues or behaviors and makes arguments for why we should do those things. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of LDS books and talks and general conference don't do that. And so I thought a lot about what what the intention was, what the purpose is for this book, if it's not to create arguments for certain behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's just to, incite emotions that will keep you in certain <clears throat> behaviors as you guys have pointed out
1: before oh yeah it's absolutely and you've said this before just in this episode it's absolutely shame-based mm-hmm. i mean it is the whole point of it is to incite shame in you i could be wrong but i almost think he references that in the book i think he's like you should feel shame mm-hmm. about these types mm-hmm. of behaviors and activities mm-hmm. um i could be wrong but i'm that feels vaguely familiar yeah, i
0: mean i, I think that Is something that he talked about because to repent, you know, you have to feel bad about it. Yeah. So you have to feel shame about yourself and who you are first. Yeah. That's like the first step. Yeah. That's an important part in his process. He brings
2: up a lot. Yes. If you don't feel bad enough, Mm -hmm. then you won't be forgiven. Mm -hmm. And he has Mm -hmm. a lot of. Um, anecdotes about that too. He does, like, he I He tells know. stories about people that he says didn't feel bad enough about the, mm-hmm. the sexual sins they committed <laughs> and he wouldn't let them go to the temple or he wouldn't let them get married or...
1: Yeah, exactly. He like almost shamed them more yeah. so that they would... And he used the phrase, a broken heart and a contrite spirit so much. And I've, you know, obviously, we've heard that phrase so many times in our lives. I didn't realize just how fucked up that was. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I know. (laughs) I didn't either. Yeah. He just kept saying, like, they didn't have a contrite spirit. They didn't have a, you know, the broken heart and Mm -hmm. contrite spirit, whatever. And I was like, so they literally have to feel like absolute scum of the earth. Mm To come to you and say, I will do anything to not feel this way. And then you condition them that the only way they can feel better to let it go, quote unquote, is to repent and confess to your bishop and whatever. Mm-hmm. Like that is indoctrination. Mm-hmm. It's use, It's a shame based indoctrination tactic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The
0: stories he used were so hilarious. I think, I think we should read some of them. Yeah, oh. I think so, too. It was so funny because he'd just be like, someone once said, or like, one person (laughs) came to me and I'm like, this feels like you made it up. Yeah, Yeah. he did
1: that so many times in the book. He would, I don't know if you noticed this in your academic approach reading it again, Katie, but so many times in this book, he only would note like he would only put footnotes from other people in the church he but then he would be like there's this quote from this this author whose name i don't know yeah so i was like you don't want to even give credit Mm -hmm. you don't want anyone else to read anything outside of other church materials you only want them to read the church materials that Mm -hmm. you're referencing yeah that's again pointed and an indoctrination tactic oh yeah
2: and credit any kind of credit in the church has always been really bad i remember looking at a general conference talk, Which Way Do You Face? I really liked it when I heard it. And then I read Mere Christianity and I was like, this is like plagiarism. <laughs> um, of course. So I, yeah, that did stick out to me, but it's just like so common in church. Yeah. Church part materials part to not cite a single yeah. thing and to just make up stories or. Yeah. I've had many wives tell me how relieved they are that I've helped their husbands not be gay. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what women really did write you and tell you? Mm-hmm.
1: I know. Oh, God. It's yeah, just so My
2: husband's now cured of his gayness. Thank you. Yeah. He like, won't be. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: (laughs) You know, shortly. Yeah. yeah.
2: We should read some of those stories because they are very Mm. hilarious.
0: Okay. You want me to find one? (laughs) Sure. There's one where he, I think he was, he was doing a marriage ceremony and then someone came up to him after and was like, do you remember me? And he said, no. And she said, okay, that's good. If you forgot my sin, then I'm forgiven. Probably. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Probably Yeah, she, you know, that was the way that her brain was working. But I was like, oh, my gosh. Or like he said, I worked and pleaded with them and quoted scripture with them to save their marriage. And then now they're fine. Like they they stayed married, even if anyway, it's just you're just making up stories to fit whatever you're trying to Mm -hmm. say, you know? Yeah. I think a,
2: an irony too that I found just doing a very brief Google search on Spencer W. Kimball is he was like the marriage guy. He handled all the divorces, the adultery. This was like quotes that I read and just, yeah. um homosexuality. And so he thinks he's like an expert on this stuff. But I also found a lot of people talking about how bad his marriage was. So Amazing. I just think that's really yeah, that's it's very funny. it's it gives, so funny. It gives
0: Brad Wilcox Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Also, he dedicated this book to his wife. Uh-huh. That's horrible. This book?
2: <laughs> Awful. He's like, I'm gay, but look what I wrote for you. Yeah. A pledge that I will never leave you. Exactly. I will keep you trapped in this horrible marriage with me.
1: Yeah, no, Forever.
0: this is just a love letter to his wife, basically. Yeah, that you'll
1: never escape. A
0: horrible love letter. <laughs> yeah, and we got this book from someone who got it from her grandpa and he had a bunch of sticky notes. So we, we kept his notes just to see what someone else.
1: Yeah. When I bought it from this woman, cause I've been trying to find it. I didn't want to pay money to the church mm-hmm. via DI um, for this <laughs> book. And so I found it on Facebook marketplace and um, yeah, this woman was like, I thought it would be really nice to leave um, his notes, which like, I thought he'd written, but he didn't. It was just like post-it notes. And yeah. It was boring. But she was like, I thought, it's always nice to see what the person before you found interesting. <laughs> um, So enjoy. And I was like, this book you're going to tell a stranger to enjoy? Fuck you. Yeah,
2: <laughs> It's so funny reading the headings. Like. I know. The church and the murderer. It's like, what could you possibly have to say about that? That is going to be in the miracle forgiveness. Yeah. So scary. (laughs) Just immediately afraid of what's going to come next.
1: All of these titles of the different sections in the chapters are awful. I mean, even just like the chapters themselves, like just reading from the table of contents it's like no unclean thing can enter none righteous no not one <laughs> these things stuff the lord hate the sin makes <laughs> to murder crime against nature sins of omission as a man thinketh point of no return repent or perish conviction the awakening abandonment of sin lifting burdens through confession restitution keeping god's commandments brings forgiveness avoiding pitfalls charting a safe course, forgive to be forgiven. As we forgive our debtors, a time of reckoning, the church will forgive. God will forgive the miracle of forgiveness. He really (laughs) thought he was
0: doing something. He did. Also, does your book have a picture of him at the beginning? It does. Yeah.
1: It's so creepy. Yeah. I did find
2: one. There is one story that I found so hilarious. I think it, it illustrated what you said, where Mm -hmm. it's like, you're just making this up, but it was Mm -hmm. about this guy who was in prison he wanted to escape, so he made a saw, and he sawed through a prison bar, and then he realized he was still trapped in the prison. So then he knocked out the guard and took the key, and then he realized he was still <laughs> trapped in the prison. And then he found a rope and climbed out of the gate, ran away from the prison, started herding sheep, and felt so bad about escaping prison and not paying for his crimes that he turned himself back in. And uh, Wow. There was like... Hmm. Obviously, it's not a real story, (laughs) but he told it as if it was a real story. It's just so funny. I was like, what is...
0: Yeah, what are you doing? Am I supposed to believe that? I guess so.
1: I did find one of the stories. Um, Not one of the ones that we've already referenced, but... So this is in chapter, whatever, Conviction, The Awakening. (laughs) Um, So he says, I had a young couple come to me with a problem. In the interview, I said to them, yes, it's wrong for two members to marry out of the temple. But the thing which you did, which prohibited you from going into the temple was infinitely worse. And the fact that they still expected and insisted on early entrance into the temple was an indication that they had not yet come to a realization of the seriousness of their sin. Basically, the value of their temple marriage could be jeopardized by unrepentant sex sin. This That heinous sin concerned them only little. Their values were distorted. There are many like them who, when the sin is as long as a mile, call it a yard. When the sin is as heavy as a ton, they call it a pound. When the <laughs> sin is voluminous as a hundred-gallon drum, <laughs> they call it a pint. <laughs> like, the soft-peddling process is a damaging one, for it keeps people from repentance. And until there's real repentance, there can never be re- forgiveness. And then the couple asked, you mean that we cannot be married in the temple. And then Spencer responds I replied with a question Do you honestly think you should be permitted in the temple after such a despicable transgression? Do you not realize what you have done? If I were to give you the total responsibility with freedom to go, would you go? If you committed murder and then merely felt a little sorry, would you feel that you should be permitted immediately all privileges of freedom you formerly possessed merely because you intended never to repeat the act? Do you think you should pay no price, no penalty, no adjustment? Analyze it. Do you think you yourselves would be better off if you went free?
0: Yes. (laughs) Went free? (laughs) Yeah, I think
2: that's a great example of what we talked about earlier, where he's like, you have to feel a specific amount of bad about what you've done to Mm -hmm. repent. Like,
1: you might feel bad, but not bad enough. Mm -hmm. There's another one, too, where I won't read it like verbatim, but basically this couple, they'd been formally engaged for like six months, and then their sexual sin had been repeated frequently. And then they went to their respective bishops to get recommends to the temple. And the girl's bishop, knowing that she'd always been active, did not question her as to cleanliness, and she soon got a recommend. Um, But the bishop of the other ward questioned the young man carefully and learned of the six months of transgression. And then they frankly admitted their sin to Spencer Kimball. Um, (laughs) And they're like, that isn't so very wrong, is it, when we're formally engaged and expected to marry soon? They were ready to go into the holy temple for their marriage without a thought that they were defiling the Lord's house. (laughs) How lacking was their training? How insincere was their approach? They were very disturbed when their marriage had to be postponed to allow time for repentance. They had <laughs> rationalized the sin nearly out of existence. Anyway, it's just absurd because they're not going to have sex in the temple. <laughs> like the way he talks about it, like defiling the Lord's house. Like, okay. If they were going with the intent to like have sex on the altar, sure. <laughs> but they're not. Like they're in a committed relationship. Yeah. I just don't I just don't understand why it's such a big deal.
0: Yeah, I know, me either.
2: Especially I think it is kind of funny that that's such a big deal in the temple too, because you watch the movie of Adam and Eve. I guess it's yeah. a slideshow now, but there's never an explicit marriage.
1: True. Like, that is yeah, a good point. Yeah.
2: God's like, I made this woman for you. That's it. Like, yeah, that's, and he's
1: like, perfect, thanks. Yeah, I'm <laughs>
2: pretty sure, like, that's the only thing that happens. So you're just watching, like, two essentially naked people on the screen live their life in this garden, but, like, you can't <laughs> go into the temple After
0: having premarital sex, or like,
2: you know, sometimes (laughs) it feels like even if you've thought about having it. I mean, this book is like yeah, it's like control your thoughts. Yeah, and he talks Mm -hmm. quite a bit about that too. Like, yeah, he does. Your thoughts are bad, then you've basically done the sin
1: already. Yeah, I mean, so you might as well just do it. If you think about it, you might as well just go have sex. It's the same Mm -hmm. penalty either way. Yeah, Um, which is a great segue into this story that I found. (laughs) And a fun fact: the grandpa actually. of whoever owned this book, he, <laughs> he, he marked, this, marked part. this part. So mm. um, so it's still I'm still only in the Conviction, the Awakening chapter. <laughs> All of the stories I've said thus far have been in one chapter. He says, a brother who had committed heinous transgressions was trying to tell me he had repented. I was far from convinced. convinced and I asked him some questions. Long before I ceased asking the questions, his head dropped and he admitted that he had hardly begun his repentance. He had not thought it so all-inclusive. These were the questions. Do you wish to be forgiven? Could you accept excommunication for the sin if deemed necessary? Why do you feel you should not be excommunicated? If you were, would you become bitter at the church and its officers? Would you cease your activities in the church? Would you work your way back to baptism and restoration of former blessings even through years? What have you done to prove your repentance? How much did you pray before the sin? How much during? How much since your admission of it? How much did you study the scriptures before your trouble? How much since? Are you attending meetings, paying tithing? Have you told your wife or parents? Have you confessed your total sins? Are you humble now? Is it the result of being, quote, forced To be humble, which is hilarious that he said that, (laughs) have you wrestled with your problems as did Enos? Has your soul hungered for your soul's sake? Did you cry unto him a day-long prayer and into the night and raise your voice high that it reached the heavens as did Enos? How much have you fasted? How much suffering have you endured? Is your guilt swept away? I think anyone, <laughs> even if they had done nothing, yeah. if someone sat them ber- sat there berating you, asking these horrible questions, what if it was just like, I stole a candy bar and they were asking, like, they were asking all these questions? Yeah, yeah Ex-communication? you'd be like, I guess I didn't repent all the way. Like, that's so...
2: It's funny that his last question is: "Is your guilt swept away?" But mm-hmm. I swear, based on all the other experiences he talked about, if you said yes, my guilt is swept away. He'd be like, "Then you haven't repented enough." I know because you, you need, don't feel bad yep, enough. You need more shame. You need more fear. You need more self-loathing.
0: You do. <laughs> yeah, your it's guilt will never be swept away. No. And also, I just—it's a trick question. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Amy, you said this like I don't understand what the big deal is like having premarital sex and then or you know whatever it is sexual sin and then the possibility of being excommunicated like that's on the table after doing that and i have a personal experience to share and i think i might have said this one on the podcast already this was kind of towards the end of my membership (laughs) in -hmm. the church but i um I did commit a sexual sin. Oh no. And then I went to talk to the bishop about it. And when I did, he he wasn't sure at the time if I would have to go to a bishop's council to talk to this panel of old men about having sex with someone. Once. One time. Oh. So he was like, I'll have to talk to the stake president about it and see. But I was like, What? What are you doing with the other person? <laughs> like I mm-hmm. he got married in the temple. a couple months later
1: whoa um, yeah it was wild
0: yeah a lot to unpack (laughs) listen it's a whole thing but i won't get into it i've mentioned it a couple times just because it is one of those that was like one of those moments for me in the church where i was like this is bullshit but anyway i didn't end up having to talk to a bishop's council but just like what is the big deal and everyone is so obsessed with like No sex until you get married and then just start popping out kids immediately. So, you know, if we're popping out kids before marriage, what's the big deal? Yeah. And it's just like normal. Yeah. If the whole point is to
1: multiply and replenish the earth, why are you condemning people for having sex before marriage? Exactly. Because they'd be bastards. (laughs)
0: Illegitimate children. Not in our house. (laughs) Anyways, wow. that's all I was gonna say. That's
1: awful. I'm just apparently gonna just pull out stories. Um, I know, I love the stories.
0: They're hilarious. They're so
1: funny. This is one of the ones that that you mentioned, Maddie. Mm-hmm. I think. I mean, honestly, they're all bad. But this one, <laughs> this one is in um, abandonment of sin. <laughs> And this one is about the man who had become, who'd been a slave to alcohol most of his adult life. And he became convinced through the various church programs that he must give up the habit and prepare himself for the temple program. He eventually quit drinking. He moved many miles away from where his drinking friends lived and though his body craved and ached and gnawed for the long dependent on stimulant. He finally conquered. He was at all his church meetings and was paying his tithing, his new friends in the church seemed to fortify him. He felt good in the new activity. His wife was beaming because now the whole family were always together. That's what she always dreamed about. So they got their temple recommends and they, (laughs) on the happy day, they drove to the temple city for this great event. They got there early. They had some errands to do. And as it happened, the husband ran into some old friends. They urged him to go with them to the tavern. No, he would not, he said. He had other important things to do. Well, he could just take a soft drink, they urged. With the best of intentions, he finally relented. But by the time he was to meet his wife at the temple, he was so incapacitated that the family went home in disgrace and sorrow and disappointment. But not only did that apparently happen, (laughs) then months passed, a new reformation had taken place. He was ready again for the temple. Unfortunately, the previous experience was repeated. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But he knew he was strong enough now to resist. But again, the temple opportunity had to wait. And sadly enough, he passed away before another reformation could come. What? Like, so (laughs) he, what? Like, he moved miles, like, so many miles away. He moved
0: away from his friends that would drink with him. Yep. But then he ran into new friends bef- on I, his way to the temple. If anything, I think this really speaks volumes
1: as to how much the church, quote unquote, programs for addiction and recovery don't work. <laughs> I hate
0: them. Oh, same. So much. My parents
1: used to teach them. Oh, my God. Yikes. <sighs> Little did they know, one day, <laughs> I'd be a prime candidate for that. <laughs> um, I mean, just based on the church's standards. Yeah, exactly. You know, but. Which um, it, it,
0: It's not. It's just normal. Yeah. I hate
1: addiction, quote unquote. Yeah, no, same. I agree. I'm
2: just going to put out that if you have not read this book, that might seem like a really crazy story, but this book is just one story after another like that. Mm -hmm. It really wouldn't even stand
1: out if you were reading
0: this book straight through.
1: (laughs) It's true. (laughs) It's true. There's
0: so many
1: Yeah, there's just too much, honestly. Um, Was there a section specifically you wanted to bring up? Since this is the FHE podcast, I thought (laughs) that
2: the um, Crime Against Nature chapter was probably pretty applicable. Perfect. (laughs) Yes. Um, Excited. But there is just this one sentence that I just thought was so surprising, I guess. But part of this chapter, the Crime Against Nature, is talking about the church program for assistance. And it's basically like conversion therapy therapy yeah yeah. and so one of the quotes that he says is from people who have been through this program is i'm (laughs) glad i was arrested i have tried and tried to correct my error but i knew i'd have to have help and had not the courage to ask for it yep so it took being arrested for yeah they were like i couldn't possibly
1: stop until i was arrested and then i realized how serious The help I needed. Yes. And then he
2: says, our method is one we think would be approved by the Savior.
1: So.
0: I would have to disagree with that. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty. Yeah. It's bad. I don't even know what to call that. Yeah. It's hard to find the words. It's true. There
1: is a famous quote. And I use the term famous lightly um, <laughs> in this book, um, and this is again in the crimes against nature. So he says, "What is more, it too often leads." So he first off, he's talking about masturbation,
0: <laughs> just to a Spencer and masturbation. <sighs> I I'm know like, you just need to do it.
1: Yeah. So just a little background before I read the quote. It says, most youth come into contact early with masturbation. Um, many, quote unquote, would-be authorities declare that it's natural and acceptable. So again, would-be authorities? Like the actual scientific yes, authorities yes. on biology and anatomy? Cool. Yes. There's <laughs> very
2: weird language throughout this book. This whole book.
0: Uh, oh, yeah, I, know. I know. The way he phrased things is uh-huh. so weird. And it just has some weird... Word choices, mm-hmm. yeah. like you mentioned. So, um, but he
1: also says, like, you know, the church has a different higher norm and that um, prophets anciently and today condemn masturbation. And it says it induces feelings of guilt and shame. Interesting. <laughs> I, does it? Or do you guys? Uh-huh. Number one. Yeah. Um, But then the famous quote says, uh, what is more it to being masturbation? often leads to grievous sin even to that sin against nature homosexuality for done in private it evolves often into mutual masturbation practiced with another person of the same sex and thence into total homosexuality <laughs> like what yeah, I, I you happen to masturbate in the same room as like your friend that just means you're gay you're gay man exactly
0: but it's it's just and like also just how masturbation leads into homosexuality like that's the cause so he's warning, like, don't masturbate, you'll be gay, you know. Pretty much. But only if you're already gay. Mm-hmm. I think that more than anything
2: else in this book, this paragraph, if you're reading this as, like, Spencer W. Kimball's commentary on his own sexuality, <laughs> this yep, that's, this that's paragraph more than any, I feel like, tells on his own self. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. And it's also funny because in my little... Reddit dive about Spencer W Kimball. Elder Packer came up as having said the same thing, and <gasps> Were they gay together. Well, there is a I say <laughs> some online speculation. Yeah. That's all that any of this is, there's, yeah, obviously, but yes, yeah, speculation that I could see it. They had, they're both
0: obsessed. Yeah, yeah, I could see it. Oh my god.
2: Yeah, because I think
1: mm-hmm. in the White Cat episodes, I think Ben was like, no, Packard. Packard was the masturbation guy. And I was, like, the he masturbation whole, guy.
2: I think it's called, the, like, the Little Factories talk. Yeah, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I read that um, not it's, too long ago.
1: It's
0: bad, yeah. It's yeah. so yeah. stupid. Yeah, and the yeah. church has just, like, erased that from yeah. their website. Like, you can't well, find it people anymore. People still have it. Oh, I know. Yeah, not, a, yeah, not yeah. on the church
1: website, but, yeah, it's definitely still out there. <laughs> yeah. And Because uh, I think it's, like, called A Letter to a Friend oh, is yeah, what the title the, of the talk yeah. is. And okay, Which oh, Friend? Yeah. Which
2: friend is the letter to
1: True. That's no. I that's a good point. I love internet gossip.
2: It's like my favorite thing. I it's discovered amazing. as somebody who just got into social media.
0: <laughs> Conspiracy theories. Oh, and there's internet so many gossip. good ones, especially know. Mormon ones. I know. It's so good. Maddie, do you want to read this story? Sure. Um, okay. So this is from "Lifting Burdens Through Confession." That's the chapter. Thank God. Title. So he's he's saying that when you confess, you your burdens will be lighter. And so he tells this little story of one young transgressor who after being excommunicated, uh wrote this letter. And I'm mean, I feel like
1: he was probably gay.
0: Can we just assume that that's why he was
1: excommunicated?
0: Yeah, I mean I don't see like I, I'm not sure. It doesn't say what I'm just gonna assume. His sin honestly. was up. yeah we'll just assume he was gay or something. And I'm not sure like if he wrote this letter to Spencer himself you know I'm not sure where he got this letter we'll see yeah so I'm not going to read the whole letter but just like a few excerpts so he was on his mission when he confessed so he was reading in the book of Mormon and he was trying to justify himself not going to his mission president to confess but then he was reading about Alma and Corianton so then he was like fuck, I got to do it. So then he went. (laughs) That's exactly what he thought. (laughs) Fuck. No, he said, you know what you must do, so do it. That's what he said. So he went to confess to his mission president and he knew he would be excommunicated, but he still felt extremely sweet peace in his soul. And he thanks God because he gave him the courage to do it. But he was, he came home early from his mission. He was humiliated and fearful. But his family was really nice about it. And then he talks about going into the mountains and spending five <laughs> yeah. hours by himself thinking and praying. And he read the part, he read the book of Enos, which we mentioned earlier. Enos like did the same thing. He was like in the in the wilderness just praying for hours upon hours. So that checks out that he did that. But yep. he's he says, while praying aloud to my father, I tasted the most bitter sorrow that I have ever felt. I had a slight indication of what it really is to suffer godly sorrow for sin. I had pleaded that I would be forgiven for my sins and for being such a great cause of suffering to my family and to the Lord Jesus Christ. Gay. I'm just saying. Yeah. I begged for forgiveness and for release from the deadening prisoner-like effects of sin and to know that I was forgiven. Just like... No, Spencer definitely wrote this letter.
1: I'm just saying, it sounds exactly like (laughs) the rest of the book. I know, it really does. The way he's phrasing it, just some (laughs) random young excommunicated missionary returned yeah. missionary apparently said this no, yeah, no, no. Spencer wrote this he absolutely did um, to
0: his mission president, yeah, and the letter ends with him bearing his testimony because he's trying to you know find his way back to the church and the part that kills me is like he bears his testimony and he says sincerely, and then he signs his name, but it doesn't say it and then it's like p s. <laughs> I observe the word of wisdom and I have been giving my tithing to my mother. She pays it to the bishop in my father's name. I felt that the money was the Lord's and I could not steal it. I have also been in clean in mind and act since my excommunication. So this was Spencer trying to show like he was guilty. He abandoned the sin. He confessed the proper way. And then he was well on the way to complete forgiveness and to the peace of soul, which it brings. So, just, like, forcing people to, or, like, promising people that they'll feel better after they go to their bishop. But every time I've done that, it made me feel worse. Yeah, same. So... (laughs) I only did it once, and it was awful. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah. But
2: there's one section where Spencer W. Kimball is talking about how past cultures and societies punished homosexual people um, by murdering them. And he says... The law is less severe now, and so regrettably is the community's attitude toward these grave <laughs> sins. Another <laughs> evidence of the deterioration of society.
0: Yeah, yeah, I remember that part. Yeah, and I just yeah.
2: feel like, you know, with Elder Holland's musket fire talk and mm. there there's more than you would think that comes from this book, attitudes that come yeah. from this book and perceptions um that is still very strong in the church today. Okay. Yeah. Um there's a lot of violent language in this book and there's still a lot of violent language toward queer people today in the church. There's so much sexism in this book. Obviously I know, sexism God. is alive and well in the church. Yeah. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah, and speaking of violent language, um Amy wrote this note, victim-blaming much. And I think the first chapter, this life is the time. Yeah. Um, but it says, those who yield to evil are usually those who have placed themselves in a vulnerable position. That is such a problematic statement. I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just like so, so many things from this book, mm-hmm. written in 1969, <clears throat> that are still alive and well. And it's just, it's so problematic. I was surprised also in my reading
2: this time through, how bad the perception is for
0: mental health and suicide. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, yeah. There was one, I can't remember what it said, but it
1: was like a minister friend of his, right? I can't remember Where he her. had like contemplated suicide or something. I, I vaguely read that.
2: Yeah. He talks about how suicide is the most selfish thing. Only an yep. idiot. I think he uses the term idiot or some, some term like that would, A fool. That's the word. Yeah, that checks out. Only a fool would consider um, committing suicide or commit suicide. He talks about people who have committed suicide and just criticizes them. Um, It is the worst view, I think, of suicide. Yeah. And, And even mental illness. Like, the worst... Worst thing that you can think of is in this book and reinforced in this yeah, book.
1: I agree. Yeah, and and what's sad is I actually distinctly remember feeling that, like, being taught to feel that way mm-hmm. when I was young. Like, mm-hmm. I used to be like, "It's so selfish for people to kill themselves. Don't they? Can't they think about the people around them?" Yeah, how it would affect. Like, I had that mindset people. because of the church, and I wouldn't be surprised if it was a dr- in direct correlation to this book mm-hmm. because like who else who else is saying that mm-hmm. back in sixty nine mm-hmm. but yeah, I agree, it's a horrible viewpoint, yeah,
2: yeah, so there's lots of horrible things about homosexuality and sex before marriage. But I was also taken back by how much there was about mental illness and suicide that was Mm -hmm. equally, if not more awful
0: than all of the
2: other things he says in this book. That's a great
0: point for sure. I did find this little quote, and I think it's one that we've talked about on the podcast before, but there is no true Latter-day Saint who would not rather bury a son or a daughter than to have him or her lose his or her chastity, realizing that chastity is of more value than anything else in all the world. So you would rather your children be dead than have them break the law of chastity.
1: Obviously, Maddie.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that makes sense, right? (laughs) Yeah, I mean,
1: and that's the thing. They've said the same thing. I mean, that's just about chastity in general. And we've referenced previously in the masturbation episode or the homosexuality episode that we did earlier. Yeah. That's a similar sentiment that's Mm -hmm. shared among that. So it's like, don't have sex. Don't be gay. We'd rather you would be dead. Mm -hmm.
2: He says that verbatim lots of times in this book, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I can't find this quote on it now, but he's like, your virtue is more important than your lives. Yeah. Several times.
0: Oh, for sure. (laughs) Yeah, and this is in the same chapter, the sin next to murder. But many rationalize that this attraction—I like the nonchalance. <laughs> yeah, just, so just this is casual. Chapter, the casual murder, next... just casual, the yeah. sin next to murder. <laughs> Fine, uh, but he says many rationalize that this attraction of two unmarried people is love, and they seek thereby to justify their intimate relations. This is one of the most false of all of Satan's lies. It is lust, not love. No person would injure one he truly loves, and sexual sin can only result in injury it's just like jumping like using Mm -hmm. the word
1: injury Mm -hmm. well and it's it's just so funny too that he says you know if you had sex before marriage it's just lust it's not love why the fuck do you think so many teenagers going to byu get married that young do you really think it's love Mm-hmm. Or is it lust? Mm-hmm. Let's look at the divorce rate. <laughs> like honestly.
2: Yeah. And I also made a note on that comment actually that was like, so what happens to your lust after you get married? It's yeah. just like transformed into love. Apparently. Yeah. Also, I just feel like another thing you have to appreciate about this book is how much he talks about Satan. It is. yes It is so much. And sometimes I wonder if Satan is not like a like a queer icon in the LDS church. Like he is. (laughs) He talks a lot about the seductiveness of Satan, the tempting of Satan, the luring of Satan. And I'm like, I don't feel that way about Satan. Yeah. I never felt that way about Satan. Mm -hmm. But whatever you're feeling about Satan seems like maybe a problem that you're
1: it sounds like you have a Satan finish. Yeah. I'm just gonna Throw it out there. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's it's like a really interesting thing also to look at in not even just this book, but in Mormon literature generally. Yeah. The hymns, general conference talks. We talk a lot about Satan in the church, and I don't even know what to say about it other than it's interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. that we can appreciate that, how much Satan is in this book
0: and how little God is actually in this book. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's fear-based. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not like God... Loves you, yeah. Like, no matter what, it's like Satan's gonna drag you, you, you down to hell, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. if you give in to your normal human <laughs> Desire, desires, whatever. It's
1: funny how just how much the church sexualizes everything, <laughs> everything. <laughs>
2: And blames it on Satan.
1: Satan's the church's proxy in how they're sexualizing people. Yes, they're like yeah, like Satan goat or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're like, and what if Satan's just like, come on, (laughs)
2: like (laughs) whatever. God's the one who wants to have children forever. Yeah, who only you only get to have sex if you make it to the celestial kingdom. Right down here. I'm not having any sex because I don't have a body. So yeah, no. I'm just
1: vibing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's yeah, but it's just it's just gross. And even um, that like reminds me of the automobile section of this book. That's honestly <laughs> oh, probably <geez>. my favorite <laughs> section of this book. <laughs> if I had to pick one, it would probably yeah. be that. Yeah,
0: hold on. I just want to find that because that part is so. We could honestly talk about this for hours. <laughs>
2: well, yeah, you can flip open to any page in this book and there will be a wildly problematic statement. Yeah. Just, I also think it's funny that throughout this whole book, they're like, the natural man is evil. The human body is evil. But like a huge part of Mormon theology, like the plan of salvation is that we had to get a body to become more like God. By getting a body, we become less like Satan and Mm -hmm. more like God. But also our body makes us somehow more like Satan and less like God. The contradiction is impossible to untangle if you're trying to believe both of those things at the same time. Mm -hmm. Oh,
1: for sure. And it, it just makes me think about, again, the fact that the whole story of the plan of salvation is that um Jesus came with his plan, and Satan came with his plan, and God picks Jesus' plan because that means that we had agency, but Satan's plan was just to have us come to earth, do exactly what we were told to do, mm-hmm. and then die. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The church Guess is like, what?
2: We believe in religious freedom, except for if you join our church, we tell you <laughs> when you have to wake up, what you have to do every day, how what, you have to live the yeah. Sabbath how day, you, what you can talk, what underwear you, know. you wear, yeah, yeah, what you
1: eat, who you're with, what
2: words you can say, yeah, how you can do your hair, how many piercings you can have, yeah, yeah. what your body looks like, how you use your body. What you do for the rest of your life, which if you're a woman is get married early and have tons of kids and mm-hmm. never pursue. It's like, yeah. Yeah, okay, don't what religious freedom are you talking about exactly?
1: Oh, for sure. <laughs> that just reminds me of the section in this book about how mothers should plan to stay home. Mm-hmm. So it's tremendously important to the child's upbringing if mom's home, basically. Um, and you know, of late years, mothers have left their homes to work in such numbers that the church authorities are much concerned and make a call to mothers, come back home, mothers, come back home. <laughs> we
0: and the then, drama. I know. Yeah. And
1: they're like, we know like some of you have to work, you know, or like your kids are old enough that you can go work. But for moms to leave their children when there's not an absolute necessity is a hazardous thing. Then he like tells that story where the mother's just like at home and apparently the entire time she's at home she's just ironing upstairs that's all she's (laughs) doing is ironing for hours and each of her kids come home and they're like mother and she's like what dear and they're like nothing and then the next kid comes in repeats 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 how many kids do you fucking have (laughs) apparently a bunch and they're like you know it's just good that they know that their mom's there for them but none of them even went up there
0: yeah like what a horrible boring story what the fuck's the point also like clearly just a made-up story that because there's like I mean you know you don't want to put n- names in and stuff and stuff like that but it's just like oh yeah a woman <laughs> like a mother was yeah. home ironing and <laughs> yep it's like that's no citations
1: yeah or anything no, like that of course not okay yeah so I did want to mention this part because it's just Perfect in the most horrible way. (laughs) So, this is in the Avoiding Pitfalls chapter, and the section is titled Automobile Blessing and Curse.
2: I can't take the chapter. I know, Avoiding Pitfalls. (laughs)
1: It's like, okay. This section, like I said, Automobile Blessing and Curse. And he says, early dating usually demands a car and seems to imply exclusive mutual possessiveness in date and dance. What an erroneous and stultifying concept.
0: fucking um, vocabulary
1: <laughs> yeah and then he's like in previous years people walked with their dates later they rode horseback or rode in carriages but now they seem to need the automobile he says like some girls are like the one who asked the boy who requested a date do you have a car the answer was negative she responded come around again when you have one <laughs> like what I've never once done that like when I used to date men yeah. if I was like do you have a car and they're like no I'm like mm, bye <laughs> Talk to me when you do loser, <laughs> like <laughs> slam the door in their face. Like, what? It's just so wild. Just this part in particular is so insane. The automobile may be a blessing or a curse, like water, which can save a dying man or drown him, like fire, which can warm freezing bodies or burn them to death, like atomic power, which can drive vessels or despoil cities. The car can transport its occupants to home, school, or temple. It can also take them to remote places, to moral dangers, where consciences are silenced, righteous inhibitions, deadened, and guardian angels anesthetized. In short order, the car can transport a couple, youthful or otherwise. Great distances from safe harbors it can impart dangerous privacy and stimulate temptation
0: how much of that is one sentence <laughs> honestly
1: that's a good point i think all of it because he uses a lot of semicolons
0: i think yikes he- he's not a good writer he's
1: not and then he, <laughs> he also- does
2: say that in the preface to be fair yeah oh really at least he yeah. admits
1: it it's true but then but then <laughs> (laughs) To jump forward in the section, it says lane ends, canyon defiles, desert wastes, and quiet streets at late hours. These are places where people discuss little of art, music, or gospel doctrines, but where they think often of baser things, talk in lower veins. And when talk wears thin, there are things to do, the doing of which brings dust and ashes where roses should be blooming. In interviewing (laughs) repenting young folks, as well as some older ones, I am frequently told that the couple met their defeat in the dark at late hours in secluded areas troubles like photographs are developed in the dark the car was most often the confessed seat of the difficulty it became their brothel (laughs) oh yeah at first they intended no evil but the privacy made easy the passionate intimacies which crept upon them stealthily as a snake slithers through the grass
0: (laughs) the brothel the brothel kills me it's
1: so like No one's saying that. Although, to be fair, a car is a great place. I used to exclusively do horrible things in a car. But it's because you can't be in the comfort of your own home Mm -hmm. and do normal things that your body wants to do. But, you know, those would-be authorities (laughs) would tell you otherwise than, you know, to what the church is saying.
2: (laughs) I feel like that's such a church thing to do too is to be afraid of any kind of new technology yeah yeah. for sure and there's like this section there's a paragraph in here and i literally titled it the james bond section because i was like (laughs) what is happening (laughs) but he was talking about how nothing is secret to god and he's like we have all of these new modern devices oh yeah that will oh yeah record everything that you're saying." And then apparently broadcast it? Yeah. I'm not really sure what he thinks people are going to do with all this <laughs> recorded information. He says the lie detector is almost commonplace. I know. I was like, what? Like, what? You're just going to set up a lie detector at your dinner table? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, dreams are analyzed. Wiretapping has come prominently into use. He goes through this for a whole paragraph, but then he says one specialist had- again to the vagueness that you had mentioned yeah. earlier one specialist had his instrument in the olive in a nearby martini and at this point I was like is he talking about things that are real or is he talking about things that he saw in spy movies Oh yeah that sounds like spy that does. To yeah me. and this recording device in an olive in a martini is going to reveal all yep. of these secret sins people have to God.
1: Who just, even who is an omniscient being? Yeah, yes. He knows, he knows everything. everything already. So yes, what? And also
0: <laughs> with that, this is kind of going off track a little bit. But if he knows everything, why do we have to go yeah. talk to a bishop about our sins? You know, I think
1: it, he. I think he actually talks about
0: that in this book. Oh, does he? Okay, um, and I think we've talked church. about that before. But just like, what's the point? Like, if God knows we're sorry and if we know we're sorry, why can't we just? work it out on our own you know that is really funny i
1: didn't like really think about it the way
0: that you just like
1: said it because that part was so con- like the way he writes is so confusing yeah. but, but it's like yeah. using
2: all this technology for a thing that it's not even for reminds me of how like bishops will get up and be like don't get on facebook there's porn on there and i'm like there's only porn anywhere if you seek if you, it out oh, yeah. yeah so if you have porn coming up on your facebook that's that,
0: that's a problem that's
2: your problem yeah. <laughs> i don't have porn coming up on my Facebook every time I open it, so I just think that it's like a really um old person fear of new technology. Yeah, trope. and church fear. Yeah, feel yeah, kind of Like runs anytime,
0: anytime there's like something new, oh, and I feel like sure. the latest one is TikTok. They're like, yeah, they're well, they should be afraid. Of they TikTok. should be afraid. Of yeah, TikTok, TikTok is that helps me. <laughs>
1: that helped me understand that I was just a lesbian. Yeah, thank God.
0: Yeah, ex Mormon TikTok.
1: Yeah,
2: Yeah. ex-mormon took off It's like dismantling all of the things that the church tries to keep. Yeah, it's true.
1: To go back to your question, Mm -hmm. Maddie, per this book, at least, there is a section in The Church Will Forgive called Bishops Remove Penalties, Not Sins. So it says oh, yeah, that's right. the bishop and others in comparable positions can forgive in the sense of waiving the penalties in a loose connotation. We sometimes call this forgiveness, but it is not forgiveness <laughs> in the sense of wiping out or absolution. The waiver, however, means that the individual will not need to be tried again for the same error and that he may become active and have fellowship with the people of the church. It is the Lord, however, who forgives sin. So that's apparently the difference.
0: Which is still like, still unclear not a little bit yeah because it's like okay the lord is forgiving us of our sins well, oh yeah i know it truly is makes confusing. no sense
1: <laughs> i also wanted to bring up the immodesty section oh geez oh,
0: boy okay <laughs> oh wait i remember this one
1: yeah it's bad. um so bad it is god so again this is in the avoiding pitfalls chapter and this section is called immodesty Other things besides cars and darkness encourage unchastity and immorality. (laughs) Other things besides cars? Let the cars go, man. The young people today seem to talk about sex glibly. They hear it in the locker rooms and on the street. They see and hear it in the shows and on television. They read it in the pornographic books everywhere. It's kind of like what you were just uh-huh. saying. Um, which also, like, like... What? what You just go to the library and every book's pornographic? Yeah. Yeah. That's I mean,
2: how it feels. Like, yeah. you, you get a social media app and it's just straight porn.
1: Yeah. It's like, no, you're it's looking for that, it, honey. And yeah.
2: They're censoring of those things, too. It's yeah. like, I don't... Yeah. Anyway. Like... Sure. yeah. Sure, Spencer.
1: Those who do not resist this influence, absorb and foster it. The spirit of immodesty has developed until nothing seems to be sacred. One factor contributing to immodesty and the breakdown of moral values is the modern dress worn by our young women and their mothers. I see young women and some older ones on the streets wearing shorts. This is not right. The place for women to wear shorts. I love that. This,
2: this is, is not, not right.
1: right. <laughs> I know. He's like, guys, this. I can't even believe would dare to wear, wear shorts. shorts just
2: day to day. It also of David
1: on Schitt's Creek.
2: Oh, yeah. Sock feet in a public place.
1: Incorrect. <laughs> yes, incorrect. it does. But yeah, but I mean, David's right. David's right. And Spencer's wrong. Yeah.
2: He says <laughs> women in shorts in a public place. Incorrect. Ab- incorrect. <laughs> this is not right. <laughs>
1: The place for women to wear shorts is in their rooms, in their homes, (laughs) in their own gardens. I see some of our LDS wives, mothers, and daughters wearing dresses extreme and suggestive in style. Even some some fathers encourage it. I wonder if our sisters realize the temptation they are flaunting before men when they leave their bodies partly uncovered or dress in tight-fitting, body-revealing, form-fitting sweaters. There's no reason why a woman needs to wear an immodest gown because it is the style. They can be in style yet not be extreme. A woman is most beautiful when her body is properly clothed and her sweet face adorned with her lovely hair. This is giving Mm FLDS. I'm
0: just saying. (laughs) Yeah, like keep sweet.
1: Yeah, it is. Yeah. She needs no more attractions. Then she is at her best and men will love her for it. Men will not love her more because her neck is bare. Girls, if the young man is decent and worthy of you, he will love you the more when you are properly dressed. Of course, if he is a vicious man, he'll have other ideas. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Disgusting. Um, and then,
1: and then um, it says, It would almost seem that some phases of immodesty in dress in both men and women border on exhibitionism, the perverted behavior in which people satisfy their lustful desires in displaying their bodies
0: to others. There's just so much. <laughs> I just like... I love talking about it, but it's also like, I just don't even know what to say most of the time because it's so ridiculous. And he just brings in so many random things that are not connected to each other at all, like exhibitionism and being (laughs) immodest.
1: Do you know what exhibitionism actually is? Because it's not that. Yeah, he does that in the, um, what I
2: think of as the gay chapter in this book too. He's like
1: the sin are the sin next to murder.
2: Yes, the sin next to murder. It's like <laughs> if or maybe it's crime against nature. Oh yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's one in like, the same if you're gay, then you will also get into bestiality.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I'm mm-hmm. gonna find And that like part, pornography. Actually.
2: And it's like there's so much that's not logical about that statement.
1: (laughs) This is in the Crime Against Nature chapter. So it says, Sin and sex practices tend to have a snowballing effect. As the restraints fall away, Satan incites the carnal man to ever deepening degeneracy in his search for excitement okay
2: Um, i just feel like there's so much to unpack just in that just in that statement mm -hmm. like what do you mean satan is leading you to greater excitement through homosexuality
1: so you're gonna have better sex yeah you're not (laughs)
2: excited about the sex that you're having with your wife now Hmm. it's not exciting it's only exciting it's
1: not as exciting as if he was masturbating (laughs) in the same room as boyd k packer (laughs) That's what I'm I picking guess, up Yeah, on. I
0: guess
1: so. Yes. So, yeah. It's, it's an, odd, it's an odd sentence. Yeah. It is. 100%. In his ever-deepening degeneracy and a search of excitement until it, in many instances, he is lost to any former considerations of decency. It is that through the ages, perhaps, as an extension of homosexual practices, men and women have sunk even to seeking sexual satisfactions with animals. <laughs> and then that's the end of that <laughs> that's section. all he yeah. says. Yeah.
0: Yes.
1: Yeah, like and then he just goes into unnatural and wrong, but then he's like all such deviations from normal proper heterosexual relationships are not merely unnatural, but wrong in the sight of God. Like adultery, incest and bestiality, they carried the death penalty under m- under a Mosaic law. Cool. And that's
2: that's when he gets into saying
1: regrettably the law isn't as strict as it used to
2: be
0: (laughs) yeah it's terrifying actually oh my god Something
2: so weird he uses the word normal to describe heterosexual relationships all throughout this book Mm -hmm. but i started reading some other things that he wrote as well like he wrote this other i think it was like a speech or devotional it's like really long called marriage and divorce i think And he also uses the word normal marriage in that as well, even though he's not even talking about homosexuality. Hmm. So he has like this really weird Mm.
1: hyperfixation.
2: Yeah. On what is normal and what is not normal. Yeah. Throughout this book. And that's
1: that's kind of like um, other things he wrote. One time. Maddie had a friend say, like, oh, is it a regular bar or a gay bar? (laughs) And it's like, what do you mean? It's a bar. Yes. You know? But yeah, it was.
0: A quote unquote regular bar. But just because Maddie's gay. Yes. <laughs> anyway. Is anyway. it a normal or is it not normal? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And I actually was just finding a page where he uses that word. Um, Perfect. In the chapter Conviction, The Awakening. I um, can't, God. <laughs> so he's talking about this one guy who was brought to him by his worried father to consider the sex perversions to which the youth was addicted. But the young man did not think that what he was doing was wrong. He said he had read in books published by deviates that it was a normal activity. (laughs) The scriptures meant little to him. He felt that they did not specify as forbidden the particular thing he was doing. Accurate. Which it doesn't Mm -hmm. say what he was doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, He thought his father was old fashioned and was not up on the newer trends. Oh, trends. I know. (laughs) Yeah. He had talked to other deviates who had convinced him that he belonged to a third sex, a normal situation. <laughs> so, yeah, just, like, using the yeah. word normal and mm-hmm. unnatural and mm-hmm. wrong mm-hmm. for being gay or whatever it is. The sexual perversions. <laughs> just like, God. And <laughs> it, it's so funny. He's like, generally, we can easily believe the things we wish to believe. Interesting. Yeah. That, you know, as someone who's a leader in a church who just confirmation bias, like Mm -hmm. you're just finding things and only using church sources to confirm your belief. And he says for four hours, we considered the matter from every point of view, logic, common sense, scripture. And finally, the young man admitted he was convinced now, but not until four yeah, Could he move forward toward repentance? I'd be
2: convinced too, if it would get me out of that meeting.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I'd be like, yeah, you know what? You're right. I want to leave. Yeah. Yeah, like, I would admit it, too, if you were just hounding me for four hours. Yeah, that's coercion. Like,
1: you're you're coercing that young man to admit, no, you know what? It's not normal. (laughs) It's not normal to be gay. So I guess I'm straight now. It worked. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, oh, man. God, it's just all so bad. So I would definitely never recommend anyone read this book, for sure. But also, it's just boring. Until you Mm -hmm. get to the sections where you're, like, so shocked.
0: Yeah, I would read the gay chapters and just, like, flip through it. But I wouldn't read it all the way through. It's no. not worth it. For sure.
1: Is there any other part that you guys want to like specifically mention or read before we like finish up? I, I
0: think have so. like one more
2: thing that okay, I perfect. thought was interesting just yeah. on the topic of forgiveness. Oh, since I that's what he says. That's this apparently book about. The title, yeah. <laughs> the irony that the church does none of these things as an institution yeah. cannot be lost on anybody. I mean, he goes through step by step this repentance process that the church does not do at all. <laughs> but... I think this like quote really stuck out to me because I was like, this is how the church avoids taking accountability for so many bad things. Without God, repentance would have little meaning and forgiveness would be both unnecessary and unreal. If there were no God, life would indeed be meaningless. I was, when I read this, I was like, oh, the church thinks that repentance and forgiveness only applies in your relationship to God. And that is it. When you're confessing your sins to the bishop, he doesn't want to talk about making amends with other people that you've hurt. Yeah. Other people that you've hurt are like a byproduct, but you don't actually have to reconcile anything mm-hmm. with those people. And the the idea that you can only forgive somebody if God exists is so hurtful. Yeah. Because obviously we need to forgive each other as human beings that exist in this world together. And I was like, this is why the church gets away with blaming victims. It's why people in church are like, you need to love your abusers because there is no repentance and forgiveness between people. It's only repentance and forgiveness between God, Mm -hmm. who is, you know, you can see in this book, he is creating an idea of God and manipulating this idea of God. You can look at a different text even from the church, and you will get a different God. Whoever Mm -hmm. Boyd K. Packer thinks is God, whoever Dallin H. Oaks thinks is God, or Russell M. Nelson thinks is God. His whole premise of repentance and forgiveness has nothing to do with people making relationships better between themselves. It's only making your relationship better with an imaginary construct of a character, pretty much. And so I think that really influences the church's mentality on consent, on racism, on sexism and all those other things where they do things that are very hurtful they feel no obligation to repair anything between humans themselves
1: yeah and and just to jump off that too which is obviously a great point it also says in this book that it's not up to yourself to forgive yourself Mm -hmm. which i found interesting and kind of goes back to how they talk about mental health like A lot of the time people, you know, the church will be like, you just need to forgive and forget. But like, if you do something hurtful to someone else, you're not taught to learn how to forgive yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, there's so many things that I've done because I didn't know how hurtful they would be to the other person that, you know, it took me years and years to forgive myself for, but only God could forgive me, Mm -hmm. not me. Mm -hmm. It wasn't up to me to Mm -hmm. forgive myself for the hurt that I caused. And it's just kind of the same thing. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's all up to this fictional man in the sky Mm -hmm. who can forgive.
2: Yeah. And that sexual abuse story that you, you mentioned in your other podcast too, where the father was sexual abusing, sexually abusing his kids, went to several bishops, reconciled himself with God apparently, but not his family. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the church also doesn't reconcile with his family. And I'm like, yeah, because the church has this mentality of, forgiveness and repentance is only between a person and god yeah and i think it gives leaders of the church a power trip too to think that they can have the final say as to whether or not you have done enough repentance or that god forgives you yeah i just think that i just thought that was like a really interesting again premise on which this book (laughs) is and a lot of the the mentality in the church is built upon yeah Mm
1: -hmm. no i completely agree i think that's a Really great thing to bring up, um considering the book is called "The Miracle of Forgiveness." Mm-hmm. Um, I never
2: found the miracle, and I never found the forgiveness. Yeah, <laughs> they're
1: lost me in this book. So. It, it is it's like it's if yeah. you know what it is, let us know. Yeah, it's truly buried. Yeah, I mean, it's somewhere it's deep. It's
0: still conditional. It's like you have to do so much work and feel so shitty, and then it's like, okay, yeah, you're good. Yeah, <laughs> I know. As long as you don't do it again, but then if you do, it's just yeah, it, mm. it can it. Just, Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just so harmful. That's all that you can
1: really say, right? Just (laughs) what you like. I (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, Mm -hmm. truly. Wow. Well, this is. I thought this was a fantastic discussion about this horrible book.
0: (laughs) Horrible, horrible
1: book. I don't know if there's anything else we can really say about it.
2: I think if you want to experience repentance and forgiveness, go to therapy. They have much better definitions and processes Mm -hmm. for. Working through those. Agreed. I agreed. Learned. 100%. Yes. Always. Agreed. Yes. If you want healing, don't look here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely not. Yeah,
1: you won't find true healing in the church. mm you definitely won't. No. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today, Katie. It was a blast. Yes, um, thank you
2: for having me. I loved it.
1: <laughs> we did too. Um, And we definitely want you to ha- come back on for a future episode at some point. Because I just really think that w- it's a really great conversation when you're here. So, I mean, you're on social media now, but there's nothing really to promote. <laughs> so just keep an eye out for any future episodes with Katie. As always, follow us on Instagram at FHE Podcast. That's where we post most of our announcements of episodes and behind-the-scenes photos and things like that. It's also the best way to contact us if you want to contact us about anything regarding this episode or any future or past episodes. Katie, since you're our, you're our guest, would you want to maybe do the manifestation of the week?
2: Sure. Um, I think my manifestation of the week would be take time to forgive yourself, especially, you know, your past self. I've had to do that quite a bit, thinking about my history in the church, um, things I believed and things I promoted. Sometimes it's painful to read things like the miracle forgiveness and think about things I believed in or promoted on my mission or as a Sunday school teacher, other things that I did. Don't practice forgiveness using the miracle (laughs) forgiveness, but (laughs) do practice forgiving yourself for whatever it is that's holding you back from, from feeling peace in your life.
1: I loved that. That was a beautiful manifestation. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Perfect. Okay. Well, I think that's it. Anything yeah. else,
0: Maddie? No. I mean, I was gonna say the forgive yourself part if you didn't, and then just you know go to therapy. That's always yeah, truly, my manifestation. Truly,
1: always go to therapy. Good God. Yes. <laughs> so, perfect. Okay. Well, thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the FPG podcast. We'll see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye. <laughs>